Welcome to CBJ in 30, the official podcast of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Here's Bob McElligant. Welcome to the post-NHL draft edition of the Monday Mailbag, the development camp edition, if you'd like to call it that. Whatever you want to call it, here we are. Back in Columbus after a couple of great days in Nashville, Tennessee, where the Blue Jackets were really able to add to their list of prospects. And I mean really add to the list of prospects. And of course, the the best thing that happened for the Blue Jackets by far was adding Adam Fantilli with the third overall pick in the NHL draft. It was a surprise, no doubt about it. There was, for months, it was Connor Bedard would go one, Adam Fantilli would go number two. Then when the World Championships came around and Leo Carlson was playing for Team Sweden and he was centering their top line and he had a very good tournament, then there was some question as to whether it would be Carlson or Fantilli that would go number two overall. It still seemed as though it was going to be Adam Fantilli going in that spot. Up until it wasn't. And we got a little bit of um, an indication, if you will, uh, the night before the draft in Nashville. uh, We were out talking to some people, and uh, I made a comment, and the people people I made the comment to just kind of looked and said, well, we have an idea what's going to happen tomorrow, but we're not going to say anything about anything. And, And it was at that point that it was like, you know what, this might happen. This might actually happen. And then lo and behold, less than 24 hours later, it did happen. And the Blue Jackets got their man. And their man is skating in this week's development camp up at the Chiller North. And he looks like a man amongst boys. Yet he is only an 18-year-old man or boy himself. But he just jumps off the page with his size, the way that he makes the moves it, everybody goes out there and they do especially when they're working on the the skating drills and the power skating everybody does the exact same drill but he looks different he looks different in a really good way so it, it's been an exciting couple of days it is uh boy i mean what can you say about it right i mean when things go your way it makes you feel great especially when you're not sure that things are going to go the way that you want them to go. And then all of a sudden, boom, you have arguably the second best player in the draft. Again, many people say that had it not been the year that Connor Bedard was draft eligible, that Adam Fantilli more than likely would have gone first overall in the draft. He went third overall instead of first. And the Blue Jackets are going to benefit from that. And you know what? He's going to benefit from that as well. And I'll tell you why. Because this is a place that he wanted to be. You may have seen the video by now that the NHL, or they recorded it with him. They had him say, where where would you like to wind up? And he said, I'd like to wind up with the Columbus Blue Jackets. That was weeks before the draft. That wasn't like right before it happened. That was a while in between. So he wanted to be here. He has signed his entry-level contract. He's not going back to college. He's going to be in the lineup on opening night, barring any unforeseen, I don't even want to say the word. You know what I'm saying. But it's uh, It's a foregone conclusion he's going to be here. Now, 
where is he going to be in that lineup? That's a speculation and argument we can have from now until the lineup finally comes out on opening night. But uh, anyway, my whole point is he's here, and it is great. But the Blue Jackets weren't just done when they picked up Adam Fantilli. As a matter of fact, the Blue Jackets were just getting started when they got Adam Fantilli. They, the second day, they uh, they really added. They added more, and, and they they added more. They added more pieces that uh, they needed, and more pieces that they wanted. You know, it was one of those uh, one of those days where, as in every every team will tell you this in every every uh, draft. You know, there were some guys that they got in positions that they didn't think that they were going to get them. There were some guys that some guys that uh, were there where, you know, they'll, they'll say, well, we got this guy. We saw him as a, uh, we saw this guy as a first round guy and he wound up going in the second round. And so we got, uh, we were really happy to have that, you know, all those kind of things, all those things that, uh, the teams say, but the blue jackets, they were very, uh, they were very sincere about that. And right away on day two, I mean, they had the they had the second pick of the day in day two, and uh, they went right out, right back to uh, the University of Michigan and made the second pick and got themselves another forward, which is exactly what they wanted, exactly what they were uh, looking to do. They went out there and they did that, and and then they just started uh, building on from there. Went to Michigan for the first couple of draft picks. Uh, went to the Youngstown Phantoms of the USHL for the next couple of picks that they made. So it was uh, it, it was it was just great. It was uh, I, I'll put it to you this way: as I said to somebody the other day. Whenever Yarbo Kekalainen is visibly happy, then you know that it was a pretty good job of drafting. Simple as that. So after Adam Fantilli, Gavin Brindley, he was the other University of Michigan Wolverine that was taken. He's going to go back to school. He's got some work to do there, but I'll tell you what, he played on the line with Fantilli this year and had himself a, a pretty good season and got the attention of the Blue Jackets. They were there to watch Fantilli. They saw Brindley. They liked what they saw. And they were able to get him into the fold as well. William Whitelaw, he's a forward. He's going to uh, Wisconsin to go to school this coming year. Uh, he was a champion in Youngstown this year. Andrew Strathman, he's a defenseman. Uh, he played in he played in uh, Youngstown this year as well. And then the Blue Jackets went into the fourth round. They got Luca Pinelli out of Ontario of the uh, they got him out of Ottawa of the Ontario Hockey League that's what I'm trying to say and so that was a, a good pickup for them there uh, Melvin Strahl a goaltender from Sweden he wasn't at the draft but he is here at development camp and then in the last round they've got uh, Oiva Keskinen and then they made a deal at the last second to get the very last pick of the draft Tyler Peddle is who they took with that pick. That's a big kid, by the way. Just saw him up there at development camp this morning. He is a big kid. And uh, the Blue Jackets, again, they walk away from there feeling like they, they did a really good job. They they felt like they got what they were looking for at that draft. Now, 
you know, you're going to, some of those guys are going to have to project out for a number of years. And then you're going to know if you got what you thought you got back in June of 2023, but uh, the blue jackets are very happy with what they have done to this point and the players that they got in that draft that just took place in Nashville last week. So if you have any questions, if you're with me on Twitter spaces live and you'd like to ask that question, just request to be a speaker and I'll bring you on the show, or you can just uh, send your question to me, tweet it to me at Bobby Mac sports, as some of you have already done. And I will start with those questions. Andy McLean has this question says, uh, picking back, piggybacking on a conversation you had last week. Is there someone that the blue jackets can bring in to help teach face-offs? Brandon Dubinsky comes to mind for me. I think Boone Jenner benefited from their time together. Um, you know, it's a good question. I would, uh, I, I don't know. And I don't know. I don't remember Dubinsky's, you know, what, what was his overall percentage in his career? I'd have to look it up. Um, you know, Sean Corrali last year was trying to help Ken Johnson get better in face-offs. Corrali's pretty good at Corrali and Jenner are the two guys, right? Because, they are the guys that are put out in the defensive zone to win those faceoffs. Hopefully, with um, with uh, Fantilli being here, just his his size and strength alone, hopefully, is going to be an advantage for the Blue Jackets and for him in the uh, in the faceoff circle. So we'll have to see how that works out. Is there somebody? Maybe there's somebody, and maybe they have somebody in mind. Uh, but they could bring somebody in. If, uh, if possible, if they, if they know somebody that they're comfortable with, uh, then I'm sure that's something they would address. And Kilch says, I know that Yarmo on Saturday said the blue jackets aren't in a rush to do anything, but he did acknowledge the extra forwards and defensemen that are being carried right now. Do you still believe it's possible or even likely that some of these players, for example, peak or Roslovic get moved? Well, I, I think you've got to move some people here. I mean, the blue jackets are looking at, 17 forwards under contract as it stands right now. I mean, if you wonder why they're not doing anything at free agency, they can't. They don't, they've already got uh, too many guys, both up front and on the blue line. Jack Roslovic, I believe, is a guy that they have been uh, really looking into seeing if they can find a team that is uh, interested in his services. They haven't been able to find, either they haven't been able to find a team or they haven't been able to find the right deal, a deal that suits them to this point, uh, one or the other, but there's, there's no doubt that Jack is a guy that they would, uh, they would have talks with other organizations about Andrew Peake's name keeps coming up. And I know it's because he's a right shot. And as you look at it, if your check is here, you're, you're looking at your uh, check and Severson and good Branson. And how does Andrew Peake fit into that? Is he the odd man out? I'm just, I am so leery when it comes to talking about trading Andrew Peake and, Right-handed defensemen, of course, have a value. There's no doubt about that, especially ones that can block a lot of shots, and they do block a lot of shots, which Andrew Peake does. But I just, um, as many injuries as we've seen, not just this past year. This past year was just ridiculous with a number of injuries, but just in a, in a regular year. John Tortorella used to always tell me, you always use at least nine defensemen more is even possible. So if you want to address it that way, you're talking about six and then, you know, your seven and eight guys. Peak is in the, at the very least to me, Andrew Peak is the seventh guy. So if you're going to use nine guys, that means that you're going to use Andrew Peak. 
That being said, he is on a very reasonable contract that has some term on it. So there are teams that uh, could be very interested in what he does and how much they would have to pay him for what he does. So, again, Roslovic, Peak, yes, those are two easy names to throw out there. I don't think those are the only names, but but Yarmo, he's he's got to move some guys out. He knows that, and I'm sure he will move some guys out. Uh, let me go to Twitter Spaces and Mollusk Man. You are up first today on the show. How are you? Hey, Mollusk. Oh, that's me. Hey, Bobby. How you doing? Good. How are you? Uh, not so bad. Uh, first of all, I just, uh, yeah, in, in lieu of the draft, I want to say I'm I'm so incredibly pleased with how it turned out. I I agree with everything you said. Fantilli just looks like a man among boys. And frankly, I think Brindley could be here sooner rather than later. I've, I've watched him play. He's got a, he's got a thousand dogs in him. But, um, yeah, just picking back to your point, have you heard any rumblings about Pete Karasovic? Because I I feel like with the addition of Fantilli and uh, the defensive moves, I I feel like they might want to stand pat just to see what they have with the new coaching regime coming. But I curious if you'd maybe heard rumblings. Because I've heard things about Peak, but nothing about Roslovic or anybody else for that matter. Well, I've heard that, they're again, they've, they've looked with Roslovic, and uh, they either haven't found their deal or they haven't found somebody that's, that's interested in making a deal with them on him right now. I heard at the draft that they were, you know, they were, they were looking for that team, and uh, obviously nothing came to fruition there. So, uh, but when you look at Jack, I mean, with Fantilli coming into the lineup, it's very easy to slot him in the number one center role. I don't know if that's how Mike Babcock's going to use him or not. Um, and I heard an interview that Mike Babcock did on Sirius XM Radio yesterday. And the question that was put to him was when Austin Matthews came in as a rookie, you played him on the third line and you allowed him to actually get acclimated to the league so that he would have success and he wouldn't get frustrated. And the question was, do you see a similar approach with Adam Fantilli? And I thought Babcock uh, answered it perfectly where he said, well, you know, ideally you want a guy not to have his confidence uh, rattled when he first comes into the league. You want to put him in those kind of situations, but the roster in Columbus is different than the roster that he had in Toronto at the time. Uh, let me just simplify that for you. There's no really John Tavares on this roster that you can put Certainly. Austin Matthews behind, right? So, uh, But when you put him in there, if Boone stays in the middle, then Boone's going to play at center. You've got Cole Sillinger. What's going to happen with him? Uh, Dmitry Voronkov has come over from Russia now. He looks like he could be the third-line centerman if he if, if he develops uh, or if he adapts is the word right away. And then you've got Crowley, who's going to center to the fourth line. So right now, I don't see Jack in the middle of the ice. He's going to get, have to go to a wing position. And when you talk about going to the wing, there's already a, a crowded field there. So I think that's why they're they're looking when it comes to Jack. Um, you know, they've got him in the last year of his deal here now, so uh, they would like to make that move. And so, yeah, I've heard things, but uh, nothing nothing is nothing's done yet. Obviously, that help you out? Oh yeah, sorry, my uh, mic is off. Yeah, no, it's okay. Um, yeah, no, I was thinking about that because I certainly I don't know what goes on ahead of. Uh, Mike Babcock, but uh, if I had to say, I, I easily admit, yeah, like you said, fourth line center probably goes to Crawley. I think for the time being, first line center still probably goes to Boone. And then I, for whatever reason, I just see I in my head it's like a it's like a premonition. I just see 
uh, Fantilli on the second line between uh, Johnson and Marchenko, just for some reason. And I think part of that is because, yeah, like you said, you wanted to get acclimated to the league by easing into it. But I think, I feel like Fantilli is at least ready physically and certainly ready skill-wise to at least slot into that position. And I also keep thinking back to last year, really the last two years, because we're talking about Cole Sillinger. And I think... I'm certain. I think certainly one of the primary reasons Cole broke out in his first season like he did was he was typically playing with Voracek uh, and uh, Bjorkstrand, if I remember correctly. And they obviously have tons of skill sets that can help acclimate a younger player to the league. Um, and I would be fearful of maybe putting Vincent uh, in the third line with uh, players who are perhaps a little less skilled and can sort of acclimate him to the higher pace and higher... Uh, Higher level of game, I would say, if that makes any sense. No, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, if, if everything works out perfectly, and uh, thanks for thanks for being on today and, and thanks for your perspective on stuff, um, you know, if, if it works out in one way, let's just say that Fantilli is, they feel that he's going to be able to hold down that number one center position. Just coming out of camp, they've said, all right, we're going to give you the opportunity to do that. And let's say Sillinger has a good camp. And by the way, he better have a good camp. I think he needs to have a good camp without question. So let's say he has a good camp. And let's say Voronkov is making the adjustments to the North American game and that he's playing with that edge that he is known for. And and Corrali's got the fourth line center spot, okay? Don't even there, there's no argument about that. That's where he's going to play. Boom. Maybe third line if Voronkov doesn't if he's not ready or and they want to get him in. But my point is Sean Corrali's going to be in the middle. So let's just say all of those things happen. Fantilli, really good showing. They want to put him top line. Sillinger, really good camp. They think he's back to where he was in his rookie year. Uh, Voronkov adjusting, and Corrali is already there. What do you do with Boone Jenner? Well, you can put him back on the wing, right? Of course you can. You can put him back on the wing on the third line. Let's just say Gaudreau, Fantilli, line A, for argument's sake, or or, uh, Marchenko, it doesn't matter. And then uh, Johnson, Sillinger, and... Marchenko line A once again. And then you get to the third line and you've got uh, Texier's there. He's back now. He's got to fight for a job. You've got Voronkov. And you, again, there's a lot of guys. It gets it gets crowded pretty quickly. And for Corrali, is he going to play with Olivier and Robinson? Probably. Uh, is But are, where's uh, Justin Danforth going to go? Is he going to fight his way back into a lineup spot? You know, um, it, there's... It is going to be a really interesting camp. Let's just say that it stays the way it is, personnel-wise. It is going to be really interesting to see how all of this stuff uh, sorts out and how they find a way to put it together. Sean, you're next up on today's show. Hey, happy Monday, Bob. Same to you. I believe you had a birthday recently. Is that correct? I did on Friday, yes. Well, congrats on being 35, man. Thank you. That's awesome. So. I appreciate that. I, I feel not a day over that, as a matter of fact. <laughs> and also, one thing I want to say real quick is last week, um, that that kid from Texas, Noah. Yes. That kid, that came, I thought that was great. You handled that great. That was awesome. <laughs> Thanks. So, yeah. And um, real question, my question for you, Bob, is the one thing that stood out to me with the Babcock uh, press conference is he said all the right things, and I believe for the most part he was genuine. Um, you know, it, knowing Yormo for that long and having 
um, some real estate here in here in uh, Ohio and coming to Columbus back in the day. He's at least familiar with the city and what's going on here and where we're trying to go. The one thing that stuck out to me like a giant Canadian elephant in the room was the two year term, um, you know, giving Brad Larson no head coaching experience whatsoever, essentially only a minor league coach or assistant coach, giving him three years. I think three, three to four is pretty much standard, especially with with a with a resume as impressive as Babcock. I believe he's the twelfth winningest all time NHL coach, Stanley Cup, you know, world champions, uh, Olympic medals, all that kind of stuff. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that because it seems like if you've known a guy for that long for thirty years, you probably, you know, stick by him for more than two years. But something's going on there. What if you only have a two year deal? That's exactly it. And what if you're management, ownership, whatever you want to say, what if they say, okay, we'll, we'll do this. We'll do this thing with you. That's okay. You believe in this guy. We'll do it. But I tell you, I'm going to be more comfortable doing it if you guys are tied together. Because if this doesn't work, then we're going to have to make further changes. And I really don't want to have to change a GM and have a coach that is still under term because more than likely a new GM is going to want his own coach. Now I'm going to be paying all this extra money here. I'm already paying a guy for a year and Brad Larson. I just like to match everything up here. And, and that's really why I believe that, that that contract is what it is. And Babcock, when he was asked about it, you know, he said, I'm coming off an eight year deal. I'm, I'm okay with it. And he's got to be okay with it too, because it is an opportunity for him to redo rehab whatever the word is you want to use his image and and who is his coach yes he's got hall of fame credentials there's no doubt about it but in the last gig that he had and how he got let go and for the reasons that he got let go this is an opportunity to make everything new again and to do it differently and do it uh, what is perceived the right way this time so he's getting that chance and you know, I, John Tortorella was on a short deal when he came here. Now, he was still being paid by Vancouver. I understand that. But it, it's one of those situations where, you know, give him two years to prove himself. And it is tied to Yarmo's contract. So if it doesn't work out, I think we can all take an educated guess what happens from there. But if it does work out, everybody's going to get extensions, and it's not going to be a problem. And, and those extensions more than likely would come at the end of this coming year because nobody likes to have a lame duck GM or coach. So um, I think it's fair. And, and when you have as much money as Mike Babcock has, quite frankly, coming off the contract that he just finished getting paid by Toronto by, what do you care? You know, and he's 60 years old. What do you want, a 10-year contract? Probably not. So, Sean, I think that's when you factor all of those things in. I think that's why it is what it is. I'll be honest, I was surprised. I, I thought it was going to be four just because of the – as you said, the resume that he brings with him, but you know, he agreed to it and, um, he's going to, he's going to gamble on himself. And I have no problem with that. I, in fact, that's probably, probably the way it should be when you're coming in into that situation, you know, Hey, you've got to make it right. Okay. Give me two years and I'm going to make it right. And I'm going to show you that I'm worth what you're paying me and that I need to be around here a little bit longer. Okay. Let's do that. So I think that's the way it is the way it is. That's why I love you, Bob, because I think that's that's exactly how it is. And you just you said the uh, you said the right thing, and that's exactly how it is. You know, it's just it's important for fans to realize what's going on here. And 
um, the term and everything like that. So that's all I have. Thank you very much. Well, Sean, I like to use the same thing whenever I answer all of your questions and it's, this is what it is. Common sense. Really? Because if, if you get it down to, uh, and thanks Sean for being on the show, get it out of the whole hockey mindset. Okay. I mean, this is a people sport. This is just, uh, as I said, it's just common sense, right? You look at it. You, you don't have to overanalyze it. You don't have to dive into it too much. You got a coach that's trying to get back to that Hall of Fame image that he has had. You've got a team that needs structure and direction. He needs a job. You need a coach like that. You got a general manager who if it doesn't work out, might be hiring the last coach of his career. So just put it all together. It, it all works. It all works. Fifth line fanatic. You're up next on this Monday mailbag. How are you? Good afternoon, Bob. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Um, okay. So, uh, obviously we were just talking about centers a couple minutes ago, but I, I, I want to ask you, uh, before the draft, people were talking about like, this was when, it was expected that Columbus was either going to get Leo Carlson or Will Smith. But people were talking about Columbus possibly bringing in like a veteran center, like Elias Lindholm or Adam Henrique. I don't know how true that is if Yarmo was looking into anything like that. But just generally, do you think that the acquisition of Fantilli has closed the door on that now and Yarmo feels that the center position is filled for the time being at least? Or, or do you think they're still looking to this point for a veteran center? I don't think that it's a closed door. I think that this makes things a lot easier for Yarmo because it, you are adding a centerman. You're adding a centerman with size, although it's a, a rookie centerman, and it's a guy who's going to take time to learn. Look, he's not going to be the player this year that he's going to be next year and the year after that, especially five years from now. I, I, this guy has the potential to be an extra special player. So he's not going to be that this year, but he's going to be very good, and he's going to be able to go in there. So the level of urgency, I think, is down because if you if you take a Will Smith and you know he's going to Boston College, if you take a Leo Carlson and you know he's going to stay in Sweden for another year, now you're with the same center group that you had. So now you have to do something. And, and to me, and we talked a little bit uh, about Lindholm last week, I like him as a player. What I don't like is what you may have to give him money-wise for term because he's not, he's of age that he's looking for one more big deal. So if you're going to get him from Calgary, it's going to have to be a sign-and-trade. So that means that you're going to have to pay him a lot of money for eight years. Then you're going to take the year that's left on his contract. You're going to be locked in there for nine years. Now, if, you, if you're not getting immediate help, then maybe you maybe you push yourself to do that. They could still do it. Not saying that they won't, but what I am saying is it's now not such a sense of urgency. I would have loved if they would have gotten Ryan O'Reilly. I, I, I would have. I'm in Nashville got him for the exact reasons that I would have liked the Blue Jackets to get him because he's a proven winner, because he's he's got a lot of that old school in him. He is the consummate teammate. Um, he would have been great for the veteran leadership. So, you know, I, I would have liked that. And maybe there is still somebody that they can get on a, on a smaller term thing, uh, and bring them in here. So again, I don't feel the door is closed, but 
I feel like they don't have to go running through the door now. They can kind of wait and see and let it uh, let it marinate a little bit and see exactly how it's going to be. Because, again, Voronkov's coming in. He's a centerman. Fantilli's coming in. He's a centerman. And you're adding that to Jenner and Corrali. And now if Sillinger rebounds, as I said earlier, there's not even room as we're talking for Jack Roslovic in the middle. And last year at this time, it was almost uh, – you know, it was almost like, well, Jack's got to play this year the way he he finished the end of last year because if he doesn't, we're going to be in big trouble at center, and I don't think that's uh, the case so much anymore. So that's how I see it. All right, thanks, Bob. All right, thank you. You know, speaking of that, I have a, a tweet here from uh, Brian McGee, and Brian says, could this draft signal the end of the line A at center experiment? I say yes. In fact, I think I talked about this last week a little bit. I don't see that experiment. I, I see it as being over. I see Patrick line A is needing to go back to being the high scoring winger that he once was with the Winnipeg Jets. Don't worry about that in the middle stuff. We're in a much better place with that. We liked your idea. We liked your we, we liked you being a team guy and wanting to be in the middle. Liked your size there. Now we've got a guy with size. We've got a guy that plays the position. Settle in over there and get back to being the 40-goal scorer that you once were with the Winnipeg. That's what I think. I, I, I think that experiment is over. And if we go to training camp and it's not over, I'll be shocked. But I think that that's – I think it's no longer necessary. Do your job. Go over there, do your job. Make passes, shoot pucks, please shoot pucks, please, please, please shoot pucks, and score goals. That's where that's going. That, that's where I think exactly that one's going to be. Troy, next up on the Monday Mailbag. Hello, Troy. How are you? I'm good, Bob. How are you? Good. I uh, called in because... Uh... I was bored the other day drinking espresso, and I wanted to obtain some Dmitry Voronkov stats to just try to understand how much he actually contributes to the game. Because at the end of the day, like none of us get to see him play full games. We see the same highlights of him disrupting plays and doing great things. But I looked deep enough to find more underlying stats on him and how much he actually contributes beyond just goals and assists. So... I think the one caveat that I want to bring up is he only played 15 minutes time on ice last year. And I'm assuming like considering he's in the KHL, which is the most comparable NHL equivalent league where he's playing against men that I I honestly don't think it would be that shocking to see him potentially be in the second line center role over Fantilli in the beginning of the season while stuff's shaking out. And the few stats that I looked into that really, really interested me were that not only that he averages 0.57 points per game, this man has 1.7 hits per game, 0.8 blocks per game, 0.4 takeaways per game, 1.95 shots on goal per game, and he has a 55.5 face-off win percentage, which that's higher than Alexander Barkov, Leon Dreisaitl, and Boone Jenner. And I know it's not going to be a seamless transition from him coming from Russia to the NHL and doing this. But I wanted to look at other players, conservatively and optimistically, that in the NHL have a similar coverage of these stats. 
And I took a couple left wing and center hybrid players like Lawson Krauss and Ivan Barbashev, who more or less have identical stats to Vronkov in this. Uh, every stat that I just gave you before, besides the faceoffs, because Vronkov has been playing more center. And another name that matched on the conservative projection side with these stats is John Gabriel Peugeot. And I think building a team moving forward, one of the most important things is you need to have guys that can outperform their contracts. And Dmitry Vronkov's barely making over 900K a year for the next two years. And all playoffs, people have been making comments like, Ivan Barbashev's don't grow on trees. You can't find these guys. And we might have one. And I didn't even get into the two comparisons that I would say are more optimistic, saying that he actually does pan out as a center and maintains around a 55% face-off win percentage. Shockingly enough, the two players that when I adjusted Voronkov's time on ice to his stats, if he had moved up from 15 minutes time on ice to about 17 and a half minutes time on ice, that would give him a... 0.67 points per game, two total hits per game, 0.93 block shots per game, 0.47 takeaways per game, 2.3 shots on goal per game. And this man had five game-winning goals and two exact statistic replicas of that are Philip Deneau and Boone Jenner. And if you could get two players that are shut down centers that can contribute that much defensively as well as chipping offensively like that, making under a million dollars a season. This might be the biggest unsung hero of our season this year because every statistic is pointing that this guy chips in on both sides of the puck at incredible levels, especially professionally against men. How do you feel about these comparisons? And how do you feel about him starting for CBJ this year? What did you say you were drinking when you got into this deep dive? Espresso. Yeah, sounds like it. Because you just went, you must have been wired, man. Oh, yeah. They always say espresso synonymous with efficiency, Bob. <laughs> was it double shot? Yes, of course. Of course, course it was. That, that That's why you went and adjusted for 17 minutes. The first yeah, shot was just that. the 15 minutes, and then you went, hey, double shot, 17-minute stats. You, Bob, you literally hit the nail on the head right there. That's exactly what happened. The second, the ending sips of my espresso, I was like, you know what? Let's adjust these stats to 17 and a half minutes to project if he had a role boost and see where he would end up. Well, I appreciate all the work that you've done to go through that. And so by those numbers and the names that you projected, I mean that you're right. That, that would be a steal if he can come in. Look, I, I think he's going to play. I don't know if they're going to send him to Cleveland at the beginning like they did with Marchenko last year. I don't know what it was with Marchenko that they felt they didn't see, that they wanted to put him there. Um, but he wasn't a centerman, so it was a little bit easier to put him there, in my opinion. Uh, because Voronkov is a center, because he does play with an edge to him, which this team has not had enough of and they would like to get more of, and he'll bring that. Fantilli's going to bring it. He's going to bring it. Um, yeah, I, I think I do think that he breaks camp with his team, and, and I've never seen him either except on video. So if he comes to camp, uh, maybe I change my opinion on that based on how he performs there. But, you know, here's another thing that I will add to everything that you threw out there is don't forget this guy is a fourth-round draft pick. You know, we're all, we just came from Nashville. We're talking about who's going number one, who's going number two. This guy's a fourth round pick. 
So if you can get, if he comes in here and he does all of those things that you're projecting that he has the ability to do and be similar to all those players that you just mentioned and do it for under a million dollars a year for a couple of years and be a fourth round pick, that's a good piece of drafting right there. Yes. And I agree. And the other thing that really has me optimistic is that there's a ton of waiver exempt players that CBJ have because so many players are young, like. Cole Sillinger, Voronkov himself, Hunter McCown. There's a bunch of centers that you could potentially just mix and match until the guy that they want is either developed enough to be ready or develops chemistry with the line mates, either up in Columbus or in Cleveland, wherever they feel suits them the best. No, you're right about that. And, I, you know, Hunter McCown, he's going to be in Cleveland. Uh, as I said, Sillinger has to have a good camp to make sure he doesn't wind up back in Cleveland at the start of this year uh, because that's – that's a possibility. There's no doubt about that. Um, but yeah, there are options. And I think that's the most important thing, Troy, because there really haven't been options at that position. And, you know, just like uh, somebody asked previously, do you still need to go out and get somebody? You can. Do you need to? I don't know now that you need to because Fantilli changes so much. Voronkov and Fantilli coming in, changed so much of the discussion so thanks for doing all that math no problem if you want to take a look at the chart so it's out and neatly organized you could just click on my profile okay. I posted it. so uh enjoy yeah i'm really stoked about the future of this team and uh thank you for taking my call as always and keep up the great work thank you troy i appreciate it thanks for being on today yeah i that that's a lot of math for me i mean i'm not i'm not a real big math guy in fact i'm I know it's weird because I'm a play-by-play guy, but not a huge stats guy. Because to me, in many in many cases, you can spin stats to be whatever you want. I used to say in baseball all the time, this guy could have two hits in his last 10 at-bats and he's hitting 200. But if those two hits happen to be over the course of his last four at-bats, I can just say that, and now he's hitting 500, right? So you can spin it however you want to. So I'm not I'm not a huge stats guy like that. But I would still drink the double shot espresso and then see what Maybe I'd become a, a math guy after that. Who knows? Maybe I'll have to find that out. Ryan, you're next up on the Monday Mailbag. How are you, Ryan? I'm good, Bob. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Excellent. Happy 4th to everyone out there. And uh, I just want to say I think we can officially just um, absolve Emil Benstrom of all wrongdoings that he did by getting us that final win in the year over Pittsburgh and uh, not giving us the one or two pick because I think we got our guy. No, they did get their guy. And I had somebody else send me a tweet about this. I am, I don't know why I'm having a hard time absolving. I mean, you're right. You got your guy. Leave it alone. Come on. Um, just, you know, at the time, <laughs> this sounds so dumb. <laughs> at the time, have some awareness. Don't score the goal. What am I talking about? This guy's a pro player. He's supposed to score goals. So, I mean, you're right. I know you're right. I know you're right. I'm just still struggling with it. How's that? Well, I struggle with him as a player, as a whole, for <laughs> yeah. what he didn't do for us. But what he did do for us, which was ruin, arguably ruin our chances at one or two, uh, I think we can absolve him of that one thing. Okay. All right. You've talked me into it. I'll, I'll let that one go. I'll let that one go. Well, have a great fourth, Bob. And uh, this is a great week for the Blue Jackets. Can't wait for next season. It is. It's an absolutely great week. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate it. Happy 4th to you as we roll on here on this uh, Monday mailbag. And let's see what else we've got here. 
who else wants to chime in and be a part of it. If you're on Twitter spaces, again, all you have to do is request to be a speaker and you do that and I can let you in and you could be on the show just like Jordan right now. Hello, Jordan. Welcome to the Monday mailbag. How are you? I'm doing good. And you good. You know, I wanted to hear like somebody was commenting about, uh, what uh, what do you see of uh, a Babcocking or Babcock becoming the actual you know head coach since Larson was gone? How do you how do you see this team going you know during the regular season? How do you how do you see them projecting like as as the season goes on? I see this being a much more structured team. I see this being a team that um, is going to be there's going to be a heavy amount of accountability. If you're not playing well, you're not going to be playing, especially as we're sitting here talking about all these extra bodies that are around right now and making the team. And then, and like, on a day-to-day basis, you better be bringing it because if you're not bringing it, this is one of those coaches that won't have a problem with moving you out of the way and giving somebody else an opportunity. Um, that being said, I think he's going to be a fair coach. I think that uh, he is a great uh, tactician. He, he's got he's really into strategy he's I talked to a lot of people at the draft and they said you're not going to find a guy that's more prepared when it comes to X's nose and, and being ready to go and it's kind of funny because it makes me laugh because I remember John Tortorella used to say well you've always got to make sure you don't give them too much information because you don't want to paralyze them but yet Mike Babcock does give them a lot of information he breaks down everything he's ready from game to game opponent to opponent Uh, This is going to be a well-prepared team. It's going to be, as I said, a structured team. I uh, interviewed him the other day. It's an interview that will come out at some point this week. And and I asked him about his system because he likes to play a puck possession system. So uh, I asked him about that, and, you know, he talked all about how, look, we want you to have creativity, but there also has to be some structure within it because we don't want you running into your teammate down in the corner or over on the boards because you're you're just uh, because there's no structure to it and you're going all over the place here. So I think they are going to be um, I think they're going to be much different, Jordan. I think uh, they're going to be right from the get go coming out of training camp. There's going to be a plan, and again, you got to follow the plan. If you don't, you're not going to be playing in the game. So I think it is going to be a noticeable change and more back toward the Tortorella days of you know, the accountability and all that stuff. Right, right. And, I mean, I get it. I mean, do you see even, like, some of the players like Booty and Bisham still competing for a first spot in the uh, slot, or do you think there's not much of a chance? Well, I mean, they're, they're going to compete. Whether or not they're going to be able to uh, make a spot for themselves on an everyday basis or whether they're going to be guys that are – sitting there and waiting for somebody else to make a mistake to let them get into the lineup or waiting for an injury so they can get into the lineup. That I don't know. Um, They would have to clear waivers to go to the American Hockey League. We saw with Liam Foody last year, the Blue Jackets weren't comfortable in sending him through there. They thought that he might get taken. Uh, Bemstrom did spend time in the American Hockey League last year, and he played very well there before he came back. So I I don't know. They're going to compete. They're going to have a chance in training camp, but it's uh, for them. It's all about what they do with that chance. Of course, I mean, after all, I mean, I've heard good things about Fantilli, and I, I never thought he was going to actually hit the trap, though. I never thought we were going to get him. <laughs> no, well, uh, a lot, a lot of people didn't. But good news, we were all wrong. Jordan, thank you very much. Uh, thanks for being on the show today. We move along on this Monday mailbag post NHL draft. 
uh, post or not post post NHL draft and in the middle of NHL development camp and the Blue Jackets holding that uh, development camp, the on ice portion of it at the Chiller North because they are quite uh, quite simply redoing the ice plant at Nationwide Arena and that ice plant feeds both the main ice and the Ohio Health Ice House. So there's no ice at Nationwide Arena. That's why they are at the Chiller North in Lewis Center. If you have a chance, go up there and uh, check it out because you're going to be impressed. I'm telling you, you're going to be impressed. When Adam Fantilli comes on the ice, you'll just be impressed uh, taking a look and watching what you see there. Trying to get my next guest up here and... I can't get that one. So, okay. Let's see if I can get this one. Let me see. Matt, I, I couldn't get you, Matt. So if you're there, I don't know if it's a connection problem with you, but uh, hang on or log out, log back in, whatever it is. Lester, you're up next on the Monday Mailbag. Hello, Lester. How you doing? Uh, about the Voronkov or Voronkov or however you say his name, he only was getting 15 minutes last year because notoriously in the KHL when they know you're leaving. They cut your ice time. Uh, I'm not really going to try to compare the numbers because it might be apples to oranges, but I am looking forward to seeing what he can do. I was skeptical about Marchenko last year, and then when he got here and I saw what he could do, I was pretty happy with it. Well, let's talk about and, one uh, thing. I, let me let me interrupt you. And let's talk about one thing there. Uh, the one number that I know you will you will like if it stays that way is the faceoff percentage at 55 percent. Last week you were on here and we were talking about the the importance of winning the faceoffs and the puck possessions. Um, you know, one thing about faceoffs, you're going to go up against different players and, and, and better players and more skilled players in the NHL. I understand that, but it doesn't matter the size of the ice or anything comparing Europe to uh, North America. Faceoffs a faceoff, and it, it's that battle. And he was having success winning the battles there. True that. I, I do like that a lot. And I, I, I was hoping they'd go after a Peugeot, but once the Islanders moved Bailey, I knew that wasn't going to happen. But but I, I do agree with you on that. I, if they go out and add somebody, then I hope that's one of their priorities. But I'm, I'm just really kind of skeptical right now about whether they do that. Uh, one thing that was kind of a harbinger for me was there was all these rumors about Kevin Hayes that they might give up for him. And in the end, Kevin Hayes pretty much went for nothing. So I think there's some players out there not just with the Blue Jackets, but other teams that may not have the value right now that their teams thought or hope. There's just not as much interest in them as, as they would like. Well, yeah, and I, I'm glad that Kevin Hayes thing kind of went by the wayside. I, I, we And we've talked about this. The, the amount of money, even with what Philly kept, is just I, – I don't think that's the kind of guy that they need right now. Put it this way. What they got in Fantilli is, I think, is better for them. Than, than bringing in a Kevin Hayes, who, again, struggled under John Tortorella. So why am I to believe that he's going to have better success under Mike Babcock? Agreed. Uh, another thing, you talk about peak. I would hate to see him go, too, because of the blocked shots. The Blue Jackets last year were fourth in the league in blocked shots. Uh, Montreal was third, Philly second. The team, though, that had the most, and they had almost 200 more than the second-place team, was Vegas, and they won the Stanley Cup. And we saw the goaltending issues they had with all the injuries, and yet still their goalies look pretty good in the playoffs because they insulated them so well. In fact, they had 124 blocks in five games in the finals, and they had 87 alone in the last three games. And I think there's a lot to be said for insulating your goalie 
and helping him to build his confidence. I think they made Aiden Hill look a lot better than he was. Yeah, and Broussard, however you say it, before him, and and uh, Logan Thompson before him, they made them all look good. They, they had yeah, six, they, they used six goalies throughout the course of the year, and they made them all look good just because of how they played defense and they blocked shots. You're absolutely right. And, and again, that, and this is why, you know, look, Connor Hellebuck right now is still in Winnipeg, right? And he wants a big deal. I guarantee you that the teams are looking around right now and saying, whoa, hold on a second. Do we need to pay our goalie $10 million a year because Aiden Hill just won the Stanley Cup? And that's a, at a very reasonable price. We can get two guys for that. I mean, if you look at Ottawa now, after signing Corpusalo to that four-year deal, and uh, he gets, what, $5 million a year. I think Anton Forsberg's making $3 million a year. They got $8 million tied up in two goalies. I, I think teams are more going that direction now where they say, hey, let's just beef up the defense and let's block some shots and insulate our goaltender, and we don't have to pay him $10 million a year. Absolutely. Uh, about how things uh, shook out last week, I was really glad to get Fantilli. I know that Connor Bedard is the guy that everybody wanted, but I think stylistically Fantilli is the guy we absolutely needed. Uh, he's big, he's strong, he's fast, he's hard to knock off the puck. Uh, there's definitely some Rick Nash vibes there, and I think we're going to be very happy with what we had. After the season we suffered through, I, I think he's absolutely the guy that we needed, and I'm glad that he fell into our laps. I was really surprised. I, I didn't watch it on TV. I listened to you on the radio and I was just stunned when Anaheim passed on him because I was about 75% certain they would take him. Uh, but, you know, all things being equal, we've got him, and I'm glad. And about the Babcock hire, I've been pretty quiet about it till now, but I'll say what I think. I, I like the hire. I think it's a good move. His teams play with discipline and structure. His teams play from the eyebrows up. Uh, you better think the game well if you're going to play with him. All 14 years that he has coached in the National Hockey League, his teams have been dead last in penalty minutes. Uh, they don't beat themselves. They don't make a lot of mistakes. And I think that's the kind of team that, uh, under his tutelage, that we're going to see out there on the ice. About the two-year contract, the, the thing that I see there, he has had a tendency during the course of his career to be very nomadic, not staying in one place for very long. He was in Anaheim three years. They tried desperately to extend him. He wouldn't stay. Instead, he went to Detroit. So I hope after two years, if he's doing well, that he's happy here in Columbus and he wants to extend his time. I, I think that he will be, and I think it's for a couple of reasons. Again, you know, he's a guy, when you hear him talk, he loves his home in Michigan. He loves the fact that he has the farm down in the southern part of Ohio. Um, you know, some people just aren't California people. Plus, when you're leaving Anaheim, you're going to an original six team with the Detroit Red Wings. And, oh, by the way, now he's 60 years old probably would just be happy being in a spot where you can you're in the National Hockey League, you're making good money, your team is performing really well and you're still 2 hours and 45 minute drive right to your front door of your off-season house. So, I think when you factor all that in, I don't think he's looking to jump anymore to be honest. Not I, I shouldn't say he'll never coach anywhere else. I mean, Tortorella's still coaching in Philadelphia, but um but yeah, I think it's uh I think there are a number of reasons for that, and, and you make a good point there, but I, too, am I'm looking forward to this. So just listening to the things that he has to say, and I know you're going to say the right things on day one. I get it, but um, this guy's done this for a long time. He knows exactly how he wants to run this thing. He knows how, how he wants to do it. He's got to do it in a different way he did in his early years, but I think it's going to benefit this team for sure. Yeah, about his past run-ins with some of his other players, I mean – 
uh, some players can be prima donnas. They're not teachable. They're not coachable. And they don't like being told where there's deficiencies in their game. I remember Tom Landry, the Dallas Cowboys legendary coach, once said, my job as head coach of the Dallas Cowboys is to make grown men do what they don't want to do in order that they may become what they may become. And there's just some guys that think sometimes when they're being told, hey, this is lacking your game or that's lacking your game, you need to do this better. Uh, they're, they're, they're kind of prima donnas about it. They don't accept the constructive criticism well, and they see the coach as being hostile or having something against them. And then in their, in their minds, there's a personality conflict there when there really isn't one at all. The coach is there to give a very honest evaluation of the player his performance, where he's at in his career at that particular time. And a player has to be able to handle that, whether he agrees with it or not. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And it's uh, that's a very good point that you make. Thanks, Lester. Good to talk to you. Yep. Have a good week. I'll go. I want to expand on that for just a second. I, and I think that uh, Mike Babcock addressed it really well when he said um, the other day about his kids. And, and his kids are, you know, they're older now. They're, what? late twenties, early thirties. And, uh, he said about his daughter in particular saying that dad, you can't say that dad, you can't say that it, or, 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 um, what was the other thing that he said that she would say, it's not what you said. It's how you said it. I go through this in my house all the time. It's not what you said. It's how you said it. Listen, my boys are used to being yelled at. There's no doubt about that. That's all they know. But there are times when I, I get out of here and maybe it's to, uh, I don't know, maybe it's to a young intern that's, uh, that's working with me. And there, there, are, there are times that sometimes I hear it myself and I'm like, ooh, that's, you know what, that didn't sound like it sounded in my head. So let's just rephrase that. And it's, it, it happens. I mean, it happens. It's, I came up in a, in a different era than the kids that are playing now, right? I just have. And even though my kids are, are that age, you know, they're used to me. I've been a pain in the neck for them their entire lives. Some of those, you know, that doesn't mean you can do that to everybody. That doesn't mean everybody's going to respond. In fact, a lot are not going to respond. So it's, it's just, uh, I, I was talking with um, Lee Harris who's a skating coach for the Blue Jackets uh, at the Chiller North earlier today. We were we were talking about this. He, he was telling me how eager these young guys are to learn. And he said, these guys have asked a lot of questions the last two days, and I love that. They want to know everything. And I brought up to him a line that I used on John Tortorella a couple of years ago. I, I don't remember the situation. We I know we were going to do our pregame interview. And there, there was something with, you know, he was, he was talking about some, a player and I honest to God, I don't remember who it was. So I'm not hiding the identity. I, I don't, I don't remember, but he was just like this. I can't understand why he wants to know this. And he keeps asking that and this, and, that, and I go torts, you got to understand you're dealing with a generation that has had the answer to every question in their hand. This is a generation, and I do it now, and you probably do it now too. You're just having a general discussion. You'd be like, ah, who was that guy that played? Uh, oh, you remember that guy? He was, he was an all-star, and he did it. And I, well, hold on a second. Let me Google it. That's what they've done their whole lives. The answer to every question has been in the palm of their hands. So when you're interacting with them, 
as a coach, you could tell them to do whatever, but they want to know why. Well, why? And when I was talking with Lee about that this morning, he goes, he goes, well, you're, you're right. And the great thing is that they might look at you. You might tell them, I want you to do this like this. And it's something they've not done before. They might not be comfortable with it. And, and then when you explain why and what you're looking for in the end result or what it might possibly do to help them based upon their natural movements, then the green light goes on and, and they're, they're bought in. And that's, that's what it's about. It's bought in, right? And that's today's coach. Got to get your players to buy in, especially in this sport and in this league. If they're not bought in, see you later. That's how it goes. So um, I, I, think Mac, I think Mike Babcock's going to make those adjustments much more easily than people from the outside think that he is. I think so, because you just, look, it's life. You just deal with it. You don't have to like it. You know, if it's me, maybe I would rather continue to scream. But if I know it's not going to work, i got to change it. Or if I know that, you know, I'm, it's threatening my well-being or my job, hey, man, come on, you got to back off a little bit here or we're going to have to consider something else. Or you're going to change. You're going to change it. So I, I think he's I think he's learned all those things, and I don't expect that to be an issue whatsoever. Uh, back to Twitter, CBJ fan says, "Sorry if this has been asked, but who has stood out these first couple of days of development camp?" I mean, Fantilli stands out so much, right? I mean, he's he's the centerpiece. I was watching Denton Matejchuk today, and here's a guy that's coming in for his second development camp. Much different, much better than when he was here last year, as well as he should be. He's going to go back to junior again this year, and he'll be even better next year. But, I mean, when <laughs> when Fantilli's group's on the ice, it's just he stands out. That's it. Um, and plus, I spent so much more time just talking to people and talking to fans and staff that I work with. And, you know, I mean, I, I keep one eye on the ice, but I don't know that I, I'm – it's not like you asking a coach who's really standing out. They'll give you three guys. I'm like talking to this person, talking to that person, saying hi to whoever, and then, oh, oh, that was a nice play. That was a nice shot. Oh, Chris Clark's son had a nice goal right there. That was cool. So maybe I'm not the best guy to ask on that. Uh, Daryl says, what do you see happening with Foodie, Bemstrom, Chinikoff, and Texier? Well, again, we were just kind of talking about this. Not kind of. We were just talking about this a few minutes ago. Um Chinikov, here's a guy that every time I start talking about lines, I forget about, which is terrible because I shouldn't, but I know exactly why I do because he was hurt so much last year. It was the out of sight, out of mind thing. Um, look, he's got great potential, great shot. We all know that he's got to come back strong from that injury of those guys, foodie, Bemstrom, Chinikov, Texier, you would assume the Texier and Chinikov are going to find their way into the lineup. You would assume that. But let's see. Let me go through it again, okay? And just placing people for not because they're going to be there, but just because it's easiest. Um, Gaudreau. Here, I'll do it different. Gaudreau, Jenner, Line. 
Johnson, Fantilli, and uh, Marchenko. Then let's go third line. I kept Jenner there, so what am I going to do on the third line? Texier, Voronkov, and Chinikov. And then um, Robinson, Corrali, and Olivier. So now Foodie doesn't have a spot. Bemstrom doesn't have a spot. Chinikov and Texier do. Danforth doesn't have a spot. And Roslovic doesn't have a spot in that scenario, right? So there's the battle that you're looking at right there. And for Jack Roslovic, he's got to win a spot over that group of guys as it stands right now. He's got to win a spot over that group of guys. Texier has to come back and grab a spot. It's not going to be given to him, especially not with Mike Babcock being here. Oh, no, 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 no. Hey, kid, I heard you played uh, last year over in Switzerland and glad to have you back. Why don't you just take that wing spot right there? And No, 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 no. He's going to have to battle. Chinikov, like I said, hey, I know you missed a lot of time last year with injuries. Um, you better take the spot. For Liam Foody, you know, he played with um, Corrali and Olivier last year in the place of Eric Robinson. When Robinson was hurt, he didn't do too bad. You can make the argument that Liam Foody and Eric Robinson are almost the same player. Now, Robinson's bigger, has more size to him, but does he use that size differently than Liam Foody does? I don't know. I don't think so. They're both extremely quick. So Liam Foody might be able to beat him out for a spot on the fourth line. So where do I see those guys? I see them all in a battle, all in a huge battle to see who can win it. Who's going to win the battle? Therein is the question. Therein lies the question, whatever it is. Uh, let me see here. Jason Messick says the outrage over not signing a free agent has been comical. There's been outrage about that? There hasn't been in my world. I just told you there's 17 forwards and there's nine defensemen. Anyway, who do you see as a legitimate trade partner for the Blue Jackets and what would you expect the return to be? We have the trade chips. Do you think Yarmo shocks us with a big swing? Again, if he's going to shock you with a big swing, he's got to move two for the price of one, right? you got to send a Rosselbeck and a Bemstrom to somebody to get somebody just because of the numbers. I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm not saying he won't do it. But I'm saying numbers are numbers. You pretty much aren't going to be going one for one. You're either going to trade a player and you're going to get back draft picks or future considerations, or you're going to have to trade two to get one. Boom goes the can and says, I went to development camp to watch Fantilli, but I ended up watching Brindley and Pedal more, and I was impressed with them. Not more than Fantilli, but I watched them more is what they're saying. It says, with all the talk about Fantilli, who else impressed you so far that we need as a fan base uh, need to be talking about? Again, Brindley's a guy you're going to watch throughout the course of the year at Michigan this year. There's no doubt about it. Uh, again, I think the the third and fourth round, or, or the, uh, the Youngstown guys, yeah, third and fourth round guys, I think that um, you're going to watch them at Wisconsin and North Dakota. Um that's where they're going. So I think you want to keep an eye on those guys too. Uh, again, that pedal kid is big. He is big. I'll tell you something else. I th He came walking out in his uniform, and I thought, and if I'm wrong on this, then whatever. 
But in the first glimpse that I got of him, he looked like a, a young Jody Shelley. I mean, in the face, too. Wearing the uniform, and I, I thought in the face he kind of looked like that. So if they want to do any kind of uh, documentary or any kind of a special on the life and times of Jody Shelley, I think that they might be able to use him to play the young Jody Shelley. That's what I think. And again, it was a, it was a first glance. So if you looked at him and you say that I'm out of my mind, then I guess I'm out of my mind. What else do I have here? Um, Mark Carell says it was kind of an open secret that Fantilli preferred the blue jackets with him and Carlson neck and neck. Would that have been a factor in Anaheim taking Carlson? They were like, we like both of the, or we like both of them the same, and he prefers Columbus, so we'll take Carlson. Absolutely not, Mark. Absolutely not. If they thought that Adam Fantilli was the best guy for them, they would have taken Adam Fantilli. Pat Verbeek, the general manager of the Ducks, felt that Leo Carlson was the better fit for his club, the way it's structured, and that's why he did it. Yeah, I mean, Fantilli, sure, he talked about, he's an Ontario guy. This is closer. He's got friends on this team already, plenty of Michigan alums on this team. Yeah, he wanted to be here. Okay, so, but he would have gone to Anaheim. If they picked him, that's where he's going. That's just how it is. They would, I I could not see them passing over him for that at all. If they thought that he was the best fit for them, that's exactly what he what they would have done. Travis Weaver says, any free agent signings around the league stand out to you? Duchesne to Dallas seems like a steal. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a good, what they get him for? Three million bucks for one year? So I guess that's, uh, yeah, it's good. It's good. I know a lot of people wanted the Blue Jackets to resign Matt Duchesne. I was not in that camp. So Dallas has him, and we'll see what happens to him there. Uh, what's this next one? Yeah, but we have a cannon. It says, Luca Del Belbalouz has soft hands and really good and is really good defensively. James Fisher, physically imposing. Um, he plays heavier than the listed 170 pounds, and Strahl was very smooth in net and quicker than I expected in camp. Strahl, the goaltender that was taken in the fifth round last week. So there, there's a scouting report. You guys are looking for a scouting report. I told you. They watch it a little bit more intently than I did. John Poston says, who do you think would benefit the most from Fantilli centering their line? And who do you believe will be taking the reins as the third-line center this year, Texier or Sillinger? I don't think Texier is playing in the middle. I don't. I, I didn't, and maybe, if you've been listening, maybe you've gotten that impression by now because I've said Voronkov, 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 Voronkov. Um, Sillinger could play there. Again, in an ideal world, Cole rebounds and he plays second-line center. So I, I see Voronkov as the third-line center. I see Texier on the wing. I see Sillinger needing to have a good camp to be the second-line center. If Voronkov isn't ready, if they feel he has to go to Cleveland first, like Marchenko did, then maybe Sillinger centers the third line and Jenner centers the second line or the first line, whatever. But who does who benefits from Fantilli centering their line? I think anybody. I think any of them do. Quite honestly, I really do. And it, he'll be a work in progress, but Johnny Gaudreau can speed up that progress. Patrick Laine should be able to speed up that process. I, I think whoever gets with him is, uh, I think he makes him better. 
Mr. Union Blue says, in all of the Fantilli excitement, I don't want to lose sight on top prospects, Jordan Dumay and James Malatesta. What are their odds of making the roster this year? Zero. They're not going to make the roster this year. Goes on to say, I know management is probably still high on them. Absolutely. Very high on them. No doubt about that. But I don't. they're not making the roster. No. Dumay's going back to the Quebec League. It's a shame because he did everything he could possibly do in that league last year. But by rule, he cannot play in the American Hockey League, so he has to go back there. I think that rule stinks, but that is the rule. So that's where he's going. Um, Malatesta is going to play in Cleveland. That'll be a great experience for him. He'll get a chance to get his game adjusted at the professional level. But they're not making the team this year. I all the guys I just talked about, there's no way. No way. So when they trade a bunch of guys and one of them makes a team, you can give it to me in September. But right now I'm telling you, no way. Uh, let me see. Uh, Morgan Bennett, any movement or whispers on Jack Roslovic? I answered that. Um, the unofficial official Finnish ambassador. <laughs> That's Sailor. She says, now that we know that both Pascal Vincent and Steve McCarthy are back on uh, Mike Babcock's staff, do you think Babcock will completely overhaul our system, or do you believe there are aspects worth preserving? Nope. He's playing his system. He's playing his puck possession system that works so well for him everywhere else he's been in the NHL. Whatever was done here before, forget about it. He's going to his system. Well, here's one from Max, who I was trying to get on earlier, but then it wasn't working out. So let's uh, see what Max had to say. With Fantilli coming in, which center do you think will be sent to the AHL or be traded? Went through all of that. Um, What line would change during the season the most, either in forwards or defenders? Look, if you're not performing, it's going to change. I don't think I could put that down to – I don't think I could put that down to one specific line. I think it's going to be, if you're not playing, if it's not working, we're going to switch it up. Let's see. Uh, Daniel Weaver says, how about our goalie situation? I really am pulling for him. We need him to redeem himself. Thoughts? Which goalie are you talking about? I mean, there are two. Well, there's more than two if you get down into the American Hockey League level. But I'm assuming, okay, I'm being a smart aleck. I know. You're talking about Elvis. He has got to get it back. He's got to get his game back. It's going to be him and Daniil Tarasov. I'm going to break it down for you on both guys. Elvis. Got to get out of his head, get back to playing well. He's going to have better defense in front of him. He'll be more insulated. He's got to go back to the guy he was a couple of years ago when he got the contract. Simple as that. No ands, ifs, or buts about it. The the task is very simple. I mean, it's cut and dry. Stop the puck. It's, you don't have to put on a show. The best show you can put on every night is doing your job, whether it is a spectacular save or whether it is the most routine, boring save. doesn't matter to me. Just stop the puck. Be a team guy. You don't have to be the show. You just have to be part of the show. 
Very simple. Go back to that. For Daniil Tarasov, this is simple, but sometimes it can be tough. Stay healthy. Stay healthy. Do the things you need to do to stay on the ice. Because when you are, you're big, you're athletic. People say you could be the next Andre Vasilevsky, but you can't do that in a training room. So you got to take care of yourself and you got to make sure that you're playing games. Really simple. Earlier in this show, I said I try to break it down to common sense. That's about as simple common sense as I can give you for those two guys. It's not that hard. It's not. It's not hard at all. Just do your job. It's really simple. Easy for me to say, right? Uh, in any event, let me do one more check here, see if I have anything else before I go because I don't know when I'm going to do this again. We'll have to wait and see. Probably be by um, on demand, if you will, meaning if there's something going on, we'll talk because things are going to get really quiet here in these next couple of weeks. They're going to get very quiet. The NHL GMs are going to take off and take their vacations and it'll get it'll get not only quiet it'll get like uh, silent almost all right development camp don't forget if you get a chance to go up to the chiller north and you want to see the guys skating see the the different skating uh, drills that they're going through you can do that once again tomorrow the 4th of July. Uh, from 10.50 in the morning until 12.20 in the afternoon, Group 1 will be on the ice from 12.05 to 1.30. Group 2 is going to be on the ice. And then on Wednesday, the Prospects game, 11 o'clock in the morning at the Chiller North. So you can go up there, check out Adam Fantilli and the boys. That sounded like a song. Adam Fantilli and the boys. Nah, anyway, I'll do that another time. This is not the time for that, but... It has been a great week. It's only been less than a week since we went to the draft and the Blue Jackets selected Adam Fantilli, third overall. I can't believe it. Anyway, development camp continues, as I said. Wraps up on Wednesday with that prospects game. Thanks for being here. Thanks for your questions there. Great as always. I'm Bob McElligot. Until next time, what do I need to say to you? Two words. So long.